Hello everyone and welcome back to the Layover Podcast. We have a very special episode 18 to kick off September's theme, Sex. And if you're not already subscribed to our weekly newsletter, go to thelayover.com. And if you want to submit for September's theme, Sex, go to thelayover.com slash submit. Without further ado, in episode 18, Alex shares a story from her new book, After the Rain, about the complexities surrounding sex while struggling to conceive, and her family's sheer dedication to see the other side of the storm. I hope you all enjoy episode 18, Dedication. Sex had become a taxing, anxiety-provoking chore that neither my husband nor I could enjoy. What was meant to be filled with pleasure morphed into a planned endeavor that required a lot of prep work. Ovulation kits, check. Basal body thermometer, check. Ideal cervical mucus conditions, check. The best sex position for sperm to travel and reach the egg, check. Menstrual cup for holding sperm close to the uterus after the deed is done. I read that that worked on an outdated online forum, check. Sex life becoming a chemistry project. Check, check, and check. We had been trying for almost two years to conceive with little to no luck. To be fair, before turning our sex life into a science fair, we got pregnant 11 months into deciding we wanted to grow our family. But shortly after finding out what seemed to be the news of a lifetime, I miscarried, and we ended up back at square one. I'm still not sure what we mourned more, not having to try anymore or the pregnancy itself. Perhaps each was just as devastating as the other. My husband and I were exhausted. We were young too, as if that mattered, like we thought. I was 27 and Ryan was 30. Surely vitamins and diet change would do the trick but there weren't enough vitamins in the world to answer the question, why isn't this working for us? I was convinced that I was being cursed for having my first child out of wedlock with someone I didn't love back in 2007. Perhaps even the abortion I had was the reason God was punishing me. I didn't even believe in a God who harshly punished out of spite, mistakes, and bad judgment, but In my search for answers, there were so many questions and possibilities I wrestled with. On top of it all, my husband did not want to go to the doctor. Trying to bring up the notion that we needed a doctor's visit felt like a fight with a bull every single time. My husband and all his optimism often kept me centered, but his it will happen and let's keep trying did not comfort me or give me hope in this instance. I did not want to solely rely on hope and prayers. I just couldn't. We needed to pair hopefulness with help. There were many moments when we did not see eye to eye in our journey to a baby, and everything we wanted seemed beyond our reach. Trying to conceive was emotionally taxing. The 24 months and some change felt like decades. We lived in a foggy state of unknown fear, bad sex, sperm analysis after sperm analysis, and confusion. It was more than hard. And what burned the deepest was not being able to make the baby we so desperately wanted to shower with love and kisses and care. Our respective worlds started to feel small in their own unique and challenging ways as trying to make a baby took over our lives. I kept thinking, 
what the hell is wrong with us? At one point in time, I swore we were allergic to one another. I saw that diagnosis on a show once, house or something. It made sense for a split second, and then it didn't. Nothing ever made the sense we wanted it to make. The only way to find answers was to go see a specialist, so we finally did. I need answers to problems, so I was ready. Pen, paper, and imaginary lab coat, like I was on the staff at Shady Grove Fertility Center. Ryan, on the other hand, was hesitant and far from thrilled, but he obliged. This was a scary and big thing for us. In retrospect, I can understand his fear. We didn't want, we didn't want to get any earth-shattering news. Neither of us wanted something to be wrong with ourselves or with each other. Many Google searches for gynecologists, urologists, and reproductive endocrinologist appointments later, we discovered the culprit, mild male factor infertility. My husband's sperm was essentially categorized as low, slow, and abnormally shaped. We now like to think of them as laid back and in no hurry, just like the human they belong to. Our exceptionally great fertility team wasn't sure how we even got pregnant at all in the first place, and they attributed the miscarriage to the challenged sperm. The good news was we had a treatable diagnosis. The bad news was that I was unlikely that we would get pregnant without some sort of intervention. Despite the route we had to take, we felt pretty good about our chances with an IUI. That's an intrauterine insemination, a fertility treatment that involves placing sperm inside of my uterus to increase the odds of fertilization. Surely, we thought, it wouldn't take as long as the science project sex we were having. The process was less invasive and less intense than IVF. Not to mention, it was way more affordable. So we tried eight times with no success, eight more months of letdowns and negative pregnancy tests, eight months of Ryan leaving semen samples for the fertility specialist, eight months of having his sperm inserted through a catheter into my body, eight months of my legs spread like the greater than and less than symbols, my vagina carefully propped open with the speculum like a door you don't want to close, and my feet resting oddly in the exam table stirrups. After each insemination, we wanted so badly for that try to be the one try that worked. During the 15 minutes of don't move until the timer goes off, we talk about our hopes and dreams and baby names. But each time we tried wasn't our it time. Our hearts were heavier than boulders for more than 200 days as hopes faded into the depths of uncertainty. Our arms were still empty, carrying nothing but longing and defeat. After our final IUI, the endocrinologist told us it was time to start thinking about alternatives. The cycles were not working. He was right and we were wasting our money. It was hard to face that we needed more help than anticipated. We sat down with the doctor and looked at the numbers and statistics. We weighed the pros and cons and worries. He drew us diagrams too. All of the information made me dizzy and agitated. The data said our chances of getting pregnant would double with IVF. Manually combining the sperm and egg in a laboratory, using PIXI, a method of selecting the best possible sperm for fertilization before injection into the egg. Oh, 
and we were looking at spending around $27,500 from start to finish. Hearing that number made me sick, but a life without a child with Ryan made me sicker. I'd reached the point I'd reached the point where I was taking this infertility thing personally. I wanted to kick its ass. There was no way we would walk out of that fertility clinic without a womb full of potential baby. This experience wasn't going to defeat or define us, even in our darkest moments. But as feisty and fired up as I was for us to come out on top, it was my turn to be hesitant and nervous about moving forward. Ryan was ready for option two. He had had enough of the creepy recliner chairs that he would not sit in in the sperm deposit room. Unsatisfying Playboy magazines and attempting to have perfect aim in a specimen cup. I don't blame him. But there was something about IVF that terrified me and made me feel like an alien. All the medicine, injections, and money spent gave me anxiety. We had the money in our savings, but what if it didn't work? What if I reacted adversely to the medicine? What if things went well, but our embryos got switched somehow in the lab and I gave birth to someone else's baby? The worst case scenario thoughts made me lose sleep. Why did we have to go through all of this anyway? Why couldn't this be easy? Despite being nervous, I agreed that moving forward with IVF was best. We got very lucky and had to only pay a tiny portion of the price tag for the IVF because our insurance covered the rest. I took that as a sign that maybe our rainbow after the storm was preparing to emerge. We did the shots and Ryan became a pro at administering them. He dubbed himself a medical professional after the first go around. My body reacted fine. I didn't bloat like some women do. My follicles, the sacs where mature eggs develop, were ripening up wonderfully like plump peaches in the summer. And the retrieval of those 12 mature follicles went seamlessly. Ryan said I came out of the operating room sucking my thumb, which made us both belly laugh. Perhaps I was channeling our soon-to-be baby? Another telltale sign of hope, maybe. Ryan provided one more semen sample and then we waited for the doctors to work their magic. One by one in a Petri dish, they would insert Ryan's perfectly selected sperm into what doctors called stunning eggs for fertilization. And then we waited for science and spirit to do their thing. I envisioned the process like this. Sperm and egg meet yet again after a long game of cat and mouse. Sperm finally shows up correct and ready to impress the egg with all his glory. They fall in love and inevitably, because conditions are unrealistically perfect, become embryos that look like hatching galaxies of oceans and stars combined. A true mixture of love and science and miracles. The day the nurse called to give us our news, we were waiting by the phone for her sweet voice to spill the beans. We have good news, she said. She told us that six of the 12 eggs fertilized perfectly. The embryos looked beautiful. Huge grins spread across our faces. Ryan had that look in his eye. I knew he had faith that we were closer than ever to what once felt eons away. The next few days seemed to drag like honey dripping from a spoon as we waited to hear how our embryos developed before implantation day. Then, the day before implantation, our nurse called again. I could feel the warmth of her grin through the phone. She told me they had a beautiful embryo. She said that the doctor and embryologist were so pleased. 
All that was left for me to do was to come in and get my blood drawn. It is happening, I remember thinking. This process is coming to an end and it's going to work in our favor. It was the first glimmer of hope I felt deep in my bones, hope that Ryan had all along. The day of my blood draw, our nurse called with the news that my levels were slightly higher than they wanted them to be. The doctor wanted to wait to do the implantation out of precaution of a failed IVF cycle. My heart sank to my feet and dread started to creep up in my throat like lava in a volcano. My body turned hot. I started to sweat. Everything was going so well. Of course we'd hit a roadblock because we wouldn't be us if we didn't, I thought. Nothing is easy for us. We have to fight for everything. I wasn't sad this time that things didn't go our way. I was pissed and desperately wanted to throw a tantrum like a child. I was tired of sparring with infertility. We'd been knocked down plenty of times over the last 24 months. We were not going down again. My anger turned into determination and Ryan fueled my fire with support and hell knows and wait for what? There was no way mustering up four more weeks of patience was an option for either of us. I called the nurse. I wanna to talk to the doctor, I said firmly. We want to know our odds. The doctor saw us the same day. He explained our chances would be slightly lower because of my levels. He pulled out his charts and data and pens and papers. Ryan and I decided that we didn't care. We had had enough tightrope walking and losing and living in fear. Either it would work or it wouldn't, but we weren't going to not try because then it definitely wouldn't work. Our doctor made it very clear that the embryo might not stick, but he knew we were ready to give it a shot. So he went through with the implantation. To everyone's surprise, the embryo stuck. We finally got pregnant and stayed pregnant. Overjoyed would be an understatement, but I didn't take a sigh of relief. As elated as we were about the pregnancy, I was unexpectedly terrified. Loss and infertility had traumatized me. The first trimester was tough. There were moments in the beginning where I thought someone was playing a cruel joke on us. Days went by when I felt like we weren't really going to get to have this baby. That perhaps all of what we went through was in vain and for nothing. My hope and faith in my body wavered. Fears of miscarriage haunted me. I had vaginal bleeding and spotting on and off throughout the first 10 weeks of the pregnancy. I wore panty liners daily to monitor the bleeding, which only reminded me not to get too comfortable or too happy or too anything about this baby because it wasn't ours yet. The anxiety and fear of loss were always looking over my shoulder. I didn't breathe easy until our beautiful nine pound girl, Isla, was in our arms, earthside, crying and ready for her first feed at my breast. Through it all, my husband was the safe haven I needed. When I filled with worry, he reminded me that we were built for this, that getting back up was in our blood. Loss taught us how to stick it out when we wanted to quit. It showed us the importance of partnership and patience, of being mad as hell at the universe and God and sometimes at each other, but still doing our best to love fiercely through the storm anyway. Looking back, we championed what we wanted. We tried our damnedest not to give up. We fought so hard to stay in the ring. Looking back on all we've endured, I feel a new sense of resilience. Walking through a miscarriage, countless disappointments, endless fertility treatments, and emotional chaos demonstrated that we have so much to learn about ourselves as a unit and individually. Despite the adversity we faced, we learned so much about our bodies and our sexual health. 
After all we've gone through, I feel like a fertility specialist some days. When our daughter turned one, we decided we wanted to start the process of DNA testing our five remaining embryos and getting pregnant again. We were ready to get back in the ring. But life had a different plan in store for us. Before we moved forward with getting our embryos tested, I found out I was pregnant, naturally, unplanned, unexpected. We'd been told our chances of natural conception was low and unlikely, but 20 months after Isla was born, we welcomed another beautiful baby into our family. Dedication's greatest lesson was to prepare for the rainbows because you never know when one will catch your eye and capture your heart. It taught me to fight hard for what I want. Because of this experience, I now believe the unimaginable is possible. There was no way Ryan and I could control any of this, the mess or the magic. We both had to learn the importance of relinquishing control and trusting the process despite discomfort, uncertainty, and heartbreak. I am stronger than ever, and I feel confident in my ability to persevere and find resilience in trying times. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 18 of the Liver Podcast. To get after the rain, it drops on October 13th, but you can pre-order. Pre-orders are very important for authors, so please be sure to go to alexl.chroniclebooks.com. After you pre-order, make sure to scroll and you can enter your information and win some free goodies and also a chance to have a Zoom date with Alex, which would be awesome. As always, thank you so much for listening. Every like, share, comment, and also the replies to the emails, they have been incredible. Thank you all for your continuous support. If you have time, make sure to leave a review wherever you're listening, and we will see you next week for the second episode for September.